Loving Father, we pray that you would give us wisdom this morning and the rest of our lives to live the rest of our lives for you. Uh, help us to see clearly and to, uh, to take appropriate action in response to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, being school holidays uh, and hanging around at home the last few weeks here and there, uh, I had my first game of Boggle for some years. Um, you've probably played Boggle before. It's the one where you've got the box full of the letters and um, you sort of shake the box and it gives you this random set of letters uh, in random order and you have to make words out of the letters as they link themselves up and the person with the most um, unique words when the time runs out is the winner. And uh, so it comes with a little egg timer which puts pressure on you to think quickly and, and, uh, and urgently. So there's no time for conversation or banter while the game is in motion. Everyone is just intensely staring at these letters trying to think up words and you just have to focus and get on with it and produce as much as you can in the time that you have. And so while you're playing, you are ruled by the timer. So every now and then you glance at the egg timer and see, oh, there's not much time left. I don't know why I agreed to play. It's a very stressful game. Uh, very hard work. Um, I don't like games that put me under pressure. But um, anyway, some people like that kind of thing. Uh, our lives are a little bit like uh, Boggle. In other words, you have to be clever and focused in order to do your best. You can't just drift through life and expect to get something. Uh, and we do it all under a timer. It's like we wander around, all of us are wandering around with our own individual timer over our heads and the sand running through and uh, as sands through the hourglass so are the days of our lives. <laughs> none of you, none of, and including me, know how much time, how much sand is left in our hourglass. Um, some of you might assume that you still have a lot uh, in the top half running through to the bottom. Others might assume that they don't have much time left and are thinking in those terms, but the timer is running for all of us. Each of us has a timer. Now, this book of Ecclesiastes looks at the very big picture of life and it recognises the huge limitations of life under the sun. All the things that people strive to achieve in this world ultimately lack substance. Uh, it's also insubstantial in the grand scheme of things. So success or money or reputation or achievements or pleasures or even wisdom itself, where does it get us in the end? In the end, we are lightweights. Our lives are light and transient things. They're like bubbles blown at a wedding or at, or at a kindergarten. You know, you, you've probably done this for kids before. You blow the bubble and out it comes and it floats away and you watch it drift and you can't necessarily control where it goes uh, and some of the bubbles pop very quickly and others sort of float away across the yard and over the fence and you think, wow, that one's lasted for a long time. But everything, of course, they all pop eventually. And each of our lives are just those little bubbles. Some of them might pop quickly, others might go for a long time and who knows where they will all drift off to. This doesn't mean that our lives are completely useless and a waste of time, of course, uh, but it puts it all in realistic perspective and reminds us of the limitations on who we are as human beings. Now, the climax of all of these observations in Ecclesiastes, the nature of life, is this poem in chapter 12 about where our lives are heading under the sun. Uh, 
Now, we're doing this as part of our summer series on how Christians relate to time. And this, the title of the series is Number Your Days. That is, it's about how to value our, day, our days rightly and use them well rather than waste them. And uh, it being January, still early January, maybe you're thinking about this year and what the year is going to involve and how you're going to use this year. Well, the key question here is how are you going to spend what you have left? The sand still left in your hourglass, what is it going to be used for? The very first uh, half of the first verse in this passage uh, shows us what should matter most to everyone. And so the conclusion is, is given away here by the preacher of Ecclesiastes. The highest priority for every created being should be to remember our creator. What does it mean to remember our creator? Well, in the Old Testament, when God remembers his people, uh, it doesn't imply that he'd forgotten them. It means he awakens his commitment to them. So he remembered Noah, who was still shut up in the ark and sent a wind to drive the water away. He awakened his commitment to save Noah. Uh, He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, but he remembered Abraham. And so he saved Abraham and his family. Rachel was having trouble having children. The Lord remembered her and enabled her to conceive. Uh, Israel was in Egypt. They were groaning under slavery and the Lord remembered his covenant to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So remembering, uh, God's remembering of people means he awakens his commitment to those people and he takes action for them. That's remembering for God. And when people remember God, it usually implies, yes, in a sense they'd forgotten him, But when they remember him, it it still implies this awakening of their relationship with him and they're taking action about that. Israel was to remember the Lord and be humble and not think they were God's people because of their own goodness but because of his mercy. And Jonah, as he sunk to the depths of the ocean, having been chucked out the ship, uh, it says he remembered the Lord. And what did that cause him to do? It caused him to pray to God and then God sent the fish in order to rescue him. So remembering the Lord means repenting and turning back to God and awakening our own commitment to God and taking action about that. Uh, Jonah had been denying his commitment to God and so he remembered. So when Ecclesiastes says, remember your creator, it's not just, oh yeah, I remember there's a God there. It means getting right with God and awakening your relationship with God and giving yourself to God and committing yourself to him afresh and taking him seriously and his word. And for us today, it means becoming a Christian. Remember your creator means take Jesus seriously. Uh, Completely devote your life to faith in Jesus and getting right with God and living right with God in Christ. Uh, We so easily forget God because we slip into regarding ourselves as gods, um, as if the works of our hands are so significant and our glory is so important and our pleasures are the highest priority and when we think that way we are forgetting God but remember your creator. There's someone greater to whom I owe everything. And this is not just something to uh, write on your to-do list for the year as if I'll get to that, it's about number five. Um, No, it says do it in the days of your youth, remember your creator. And so that's talking about giving God All of your days, including the best of your days, should be devoted to remembering your creator. So don't wait until your best days are behind you to remember the Lord and become a Christian. 
and live 100% for God. Do it now. (coughs) This, of course, is not just relevant to young people. Somebody after the 8am said, oh, yeah, we used to give this talk to to our youth group all the time. It's a favourite to hammer the youth kids. This is not just for youth. It means all of us, whatever time you have left, give it to God. Don't waste precious time as if the only thing to live for in this world is world travel or crossword puzzles or gardening or online gaming or climbing the corporate ladder or whatever. Give the best of what you have to God. Um, If your attitude is that you'll spend a good portion of what you have on yourself and you'll get around to caring more about God later, then you've got to think very hard about whether you're actually a Christian at the moment. It's true that sometimes um, people live for themselves their whole lives and only in the end do they turn to God. And when that happens, it's a very gracious, merciful act of God to open their heart at that point right at the end. But no one who is genuinely converted on their deathbed thinks, ah, I got away with it. I lived all my life for myself and now at the end I'm saved. I, did, I, I handled it correctly. No, someone who's genuinely converted on their deathbed will be thinking, how I wish I gave myself to the Lord sooner and how I wish I could have given more of my life to Christ instead of wasting so much of it, not trying to honour Christ. That's a genuine conversion. So remember your creator in the days of your youth or at least whatever skerrick of youth or whatever amount of life you have left, give it to him and spend it with him. That is what should matter most to everyone. But a person might ask, why? What's wrong with spending some time on myself? And why shouldn't we let our young people enjoy themselves and let their hair down before they get tied up with religious commitment and all this sort of thing? Why give our best years to God? Well, the assumption behind that question is all wrong because it assumes that living for ourselves is more fun than living for God. And that is simply untrue. There is more happiness as well as more joy and peace and hope and love in the Christian life than there is in any other kind of human existence. Being a Christian is the best way to live. If you waste time not being a Christian, you're not only robbing God, you're robbing yourself as well. And the reason that the preacher gives us here is simply that life is too short and too precious to waste. And so uh, in, the, in the bulk of this passage, we have a description of what is coming for everyone. The preacher gives us a series of pictures of the end of life under the sun. And of course, some people don't get this far. Sometimes life ends tragically and, and way too short. Uh, but this is something of a best case scenario at the end of life, even though it's described so depressingly. <laughs> it is the best case scenario. Uh, Now, of course, these days many people say you're only as young as you feel and um, 40 is the new 30 and 60 is the new 40 and 70 is the new 50 or whatever it is they say. Uh, And there's a whole travel industry out there telling you you're not too young to go and spend your money. You've still got energy to get to the other side of the world and everything else. Um, And I'm sure it's true that we are able to maintain a standard of life, a quality of life much much better than they were 3,000 years ago modern medicine and superannuation and government pensions, etc. But this still rings true for us today like it did back then. What's coming is days of trouble, days of disaster or distress, the years when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. 
In other words, a kind of slow withdrawal from the world, the fading of a person's force, uh, a decline that ends with death. And the first picture of these days is the fall of night and the coming of dark clouds at the same time. He says, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. So that's a description of growing darkness, growing cold. As night falls, the lights of life are withdrawn. Uh, Perhaps friends friends fade and, and, and leave or pleasures fade or hopes fade. And growing sorrow as the clouds gather, a decreasing capacity for joy A very sombre picture. The next picture is a picture of a great house, uh, verses 3 and 4, one bustling with activity in its day and now in decline. Uh, The days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they're few and those who look through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades. Uh, Some people see various bodily functions being depicted in those verses, Um, the arms trembling, the legs weakening and stooping, the teeth becoming few, the eyes dimming, the ears closing. Um, I don't know what you think of that, but there's a picture there at least of a a great house uh, that used to be full of activity and bustling and energy, now in decline and a withdrawal from the world. And then various aspects of life in old age are described. Verse 4, rising with the birds uh, but not being able to hear them. Uh, Verse 5, increasing fearfulness of heights and dangers. Um, Just stepping off a gutter onto the street is fraught with danger. Uh, The blossoming almond tree is a picture of brown hair turning white. Uh, The grasshopper the bounciest of creatures, such a tiny little thing and it can just be standing there and the next minute it's over there, Uh, but just dragging itself along, along its belly. Um, uh, Desires no longer stirred and then a permanent departure from the temporal world into the eternal and the sadness of the funeral at the end of verse 5. Then in verse 6 there are two pictures of death A golden bowl suspended by a silver cord and the cord is cut so the bowl falls and it's shattered. So something that was precious and beautiful is now ruined. Uh, And then a well with a wheel that lowers the pitcher into the water. The pitcher is shattered and the wheel is broken so something that was useful is now useless. That's the tragedy of death. And in verse 7, we're given a reminder that this is the ancient curse of God on our sin. Dust you are and to dust you will return. All physical trace of us disappears in time. And the God who gave our life or our breath or our spirit, the God who gave it, takes that life back again and we're gone from this world. And before too long, it's as if we were never here. So that's... uh, That's the writer's description of where everything is going for human beings. Is it depressing? Um, Maybe. Is it sobering? Yes, it's supposed to burst our bubble and remind us that we are not gods. This is the nature of our existence. Is it helpful? Yes, I think it is because it underlines the point that if you have some capacity left, if you have some time left, use it well 
Don't just fritter it away. It's precious. Don't waste it. And this underlines the main thrust of the preacher's teaching. Verse 8, what's true for everyone? Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. As you may know, the word meaningless there is in other versions translated as vanity. Vanity of vanities. But literally the word is vapour or mist or a puff. Vapour, vapour, everything is vapour. So our lives are like, you know, you go outside on a cold morning and you breathe the air and out comes the vapour and it just sort of floats off into the, into the, in the sunshine. That's your life, that's our life. Um, as I said, it doesn't mean that our lives are a pointless waste of time but it means that we are very limited because we're so transient and the things we work so hard for in this world are like trying to grab onto a cloud uh, But from another point of view, the very transience of our lives makes them very precious, like the bubble that floats on the breeze to the delight of a child or um, the flower that that just blooms for one day and it's there for a day and then it's gone. So the time that we have is precious, especially the days of our youth, which are the days of our greatest energy and activity, the days when we have that energy. And this is true for everyone. Now, for all its depressingness, For Christians, um, I probably should remind you that the resurrection of Jesus changes a lot for us, of course. Um, The resurrection of Jesus promises a light and a dawn on the other side of the stormy night of death. That night will end one day for a Christian. Uh, The resurrection promises the presence of Christ for our souls. Today you'll be with me in paradise, he said. Uh, It promises a resurrection body which is redeemed from the dust on the last day. It promises life and work and fellowship and satisfaction and no more death or mourning or crying or pain in the new creation, forever with the Lord. So the resurrection promises us much that gives us hope even though this passage is so depressing. But I think the fact that we have a hope on the other side um, only increases the challenge to use this life well The sand is running through the hourglass. This life is too precious to waste, particularly given that there is a resurrection to come on pointless self-indulgence here and now. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And I hope that you can see that this passage is not just for the youth. It's for anyone with any time left. What are you going to do with it? Even if your best days are behind you, what are you going to do with what you have left? Now, what does this mean practically? Well, it starts in the heart and this means that you and I, we need to look at ourselves and the ways in which perhaps we are denying our commitment to God uh, and needing to remember him. If you know that you haven't even been trying to give God your best, then you need to remember your creator and reawaken your commitment to him. We are not gods. We don't exist for our own pleasure or our own glory. That's not why we were put here. We need to be humbled. And if you're waking up to this for the first time and you realise that you owe a lot to God, you've wasted a lot of your life on yourself, more than you can ever repay to God, then you need to know that Jesus has paid your debt. Yes, you've wasted a lot. You've, you, you've done wrong by God. But Jesus has paid your debt and so you don't owe God anything in order to be saved. You can still go to heaven. 
But you also know, need to know that from now on you are called to fight against your own sin and against your own desires. And of course our own desires are about what will increase our own pleasure and our own glory and it's all about me. That's my sinful nature at work. And we are called to fight against that in order to remember our Creator. So we all need to look at our own hearts and remember our Creator and submit ourselves to him on a daily, hourly basis. Remember him. It will also uh, involve examining our diaries, I think, and submitting our time to him every day and every week and every month and every year. Um, Lots of people say these days, we all say it, I'm so busy, I'm time poor, and we feel that pressure all the time. Almost everybody I know who's retired has said to me, I'm so busy, Uh, it's, it's such a busy life being retired, I don't know how I ever got time for work and all that sort of stuff. And of course if you're a parent of children and you're running them around and you're very busy uh, and people without children are so busy doing all the things that they're wanting to do and seeing all the people that they need to see. But we need to ask ourselves, what is it that is keeping me busy? And how important is, are those things really? Um, what would the preacher of Ecclesiastes say about the things that are filling up our diaries? Um, Please don't hear me say that earthly work is a waste of time or that rest is a waste of time or that fun is a waste of time either. All of those things are good gifts from God but but they they can all also be overdone such that God is de-centred in our lives. You can overdo all of those good gifts. So we might ask, am I too busy to pray? Um, Am I too busy to, to be fed from God's word? Am I too busy to be reliably here at church? Am I too busy to serve and do good for other people? Am I too busy for faithfulness to God uh, and to his people? Um, Christians can be quite susceptible to uh, fear of missing out. They call it FOMO these days, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. You've heard that maybe. Uh, In other words, we we might fall into the trap of thinking, If I remember my creator and prioritise serving him, I'll have to forget all those other things that I want in life. Uh, If I give money to the church, I'll never be able to afford that trip to New York. Or if I prioritise church on Sunday mornings, my daughter will never play football for Australia. Or if I join a small group, I won't be able to do Latin dancing. Or whatever. Fear of missing out. Forget your fear of missing out. In the grand scheme of things, those things are not worth remembering. Remember your creator and be faithful to him and you will not miss out. That's the promise of Jesus. So let's pray that God helps us, gives us this wisdom. Loving Father, please uh, strengthen our faith to believe that you can provide for us when we remember you. Uh, help give us the wisdom to see that we don't we aren't here for very long and we should use whatever time you give us uh, for the best thing which is our commitment to you so help us father to value our relationship with you to give our best to you and to serve you by serving others uh, in the time that you give us thank you for all the other things you give us as well but help us to focus on the right thing We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.